we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. How's everybody tonight? Good, good, good. I see a couple uh, newer faces tonight, so a uh, good thing because tonight is kind of a review, so we'll catch you guys up. If uh, you missed a little bit of our first study in, the, in Daniel as we've gone through it, we went through um, the first three, three and a half chapters, and we're in verse number 19 tonight is where we left off. I gave you guys a little bit of homework, and nobody did it, so um, is anybody willing to... Um, just bold-faced lie in church to make me feel better about myself? Anybody willing to do that for me? Who, who did their homework and read Romans 4 last week? Good, good, good. Okay, well, um, did you do it? Yes, yes, yes. Praise God. We have somebody that was willing to bold-faced lie in Jesus' name. No, I'm just kidding. Of all the people that would bold-faced lie, I think Jessica would be the last one that would do that, so... We know she actually read it. I want to maybe go over it with you guys tonight because I think it was important. But um, let, let's kind of catch up, right? Daniel chapter 1, we get the introduction. And, and really it brings us to, in chapter 1, we get kind of the key verse in, in verse number 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies. And so that, that particular verse is um, to be highlighted in your Bible, underlined. It's the powerhouse Daniel purposed in his heart. And so the Bible says of Job, and you know what's funny, men? It's not funny, but um, it, it's true. And, and women for you as well. Job struggled with lust. He struggled with looking at a woman lustfully. Job is the first Bible in, in chronological order that was written in the Bible. Um, predates Genesis, predates the Torah. And so you have the oldest, we have dinosaurs um, in the book of Job where Men and dinosaurs would have coexisted. We know that's true. They've recently found um, living, uh, I don't know if it's DNA, but it's, it's tissue um, in dinosaurs that was alive. And, and that speaks of one thing, that the dinosaurs can't be millions and millions and billions of years old because that, that would not live that long. And so the life expectancy of what they found is about, anybody take a wild guess? About 6,000 years, so 7,000 years. So... Um, but, but Job, like Daniel, he, he also used this, this kind of philosophy in life and walking with Christ that he purposed in his heart. And he said, Job said, I, I made a covenant with my eyes that I might not lust after women or I might not um, lust. And so, you know, I think that's something that's Bible. Daniel in the same thing, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's delicacies. And then so we have the introduction. Nebuchadnezzar, this king, he goes to Babylon. He um, he, 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 I'm sorry, he goes to Israel, he conquers Israel, he comes in three waves of conquering, he brings Daniel and the finest of Israel back and begins to train him up in his court. Daniel rises to the top, chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a statue. Can we, that's kind of a picture of the statue there. Can we have the first, yeah, there we go. Daniel, um, chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a, a dream and it's a, it's a dream that, that, that God interprets through Daniel of successive kingdoms coming through um, human history. Now, we have absolutely every reason to believe in the Bible. And one of them is that the Bible tells the beginning from the end. And we have here laid out in history. The book of Daniel, as I've told you many times, has so much scrutiny and people against it because of the accuracy and because of the exact and preciseness of how these things laid out exactly like Daniel said they would. And so Daniel interprets this dream and he says, Nebuch O King Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. And Nebuchadnezzar was a god king. 
um, Babylon was the um, greatest city in antiquities. I think of all the cities in, in human history, Babylon stands out as the greatest accomplished um, city in all of history. Walls that were 200 feet tall, two, two walls wide. They could, they could have chariot races across the walls of Babylon with six chariots abreast on the top of the wall. Every kind of defense system of, of you know, oil and rockets and, you know, M16s coming off the top of the, <laughs> of the wall, grenades and, and everything. They, the, the river Euphrates flew, flowed through the middle of Babylon with these big ginormous gates on either side. They, they grew everything they needed inside the city. They could have walled up and stayed in the city for forever because of, of, of the thing. And they thought they could do that. And we'll get to that where um, they actually break through one of those gates. And um, the Medo-Persian Empire is going to conquer um, Nebuchadnezzar's son. Um, and we see that. Then the, um, the successive metals that go down, bra- uh, breasts and arms of, of silver, belly and thigh of brass, legs of iron of Rome, of Rome, of iron. And then the final defeat of iron and clay, papal Rome, modern nations of Europe that we covered. Okay, I want to bring your attention, if we can, chapter 2, to verse 44. Let's go 43. And as you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. Now, I told you guys we are the people of what? Somebody got it in the back. The people of the, the toes, okay? Because that's where we are in this um, prophecy of Daniel. It will be this kingdom of toes, of ten toes mixed of iron and clay that the Antichrist will rise out of, that the, the revived Roman Empire, um, where the Antichrist will come out of, that will be the power that, that is on the planet during the second advent or during Christ. So Rome fell in 476. Um, Rome lasted almost 700 years. Um, and so we are the people of the toes. and cl- of, of, We're the people of the toes. And then it says, um, And in these days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. In what days? In these days. So technically, according to the prophecy, in the days of the toes, right? In the days of the, the succeeding... So we have this long gap. We have, you know, 100 years, 150 years, 200 years, 600 years, and then we have 476 A.D. when the Roman Empire collapses to today, and in this last day with the feet and of iron um, mixed with clay. Now, we know that iron and clay doesn't mix, so that's part of the prophecy, but it's in this day that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, and he shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever inasmuch as you saw the stone that was cut out of the mountain somebody without hands so a stone that's cut out of a mountain without hands always speaks of what the hand of God and so God here and Jesus is oftentimes for us the stone he's one of the idioms of Jesus is he was the stone which the builders rejected we know that and so we have here again, we have a prophecy in Daniel that, that talks about Revelation 6 through 19. That, that that's the time that Antichrist will rise up, that, that, that this prophecy will be fulfilled. And when God sets up his everlasting kingdom, 
I, I don't care where you want to start that. You can start that in Revelation 20 with the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand years, or you can wait till you get to 21 where we have the new heaven and the new earth that's established in, in Revelation 21 and 22 for all of eternity. But that is Jesus. This is end times. Now, one of the things in chapter 3 that I want to go through today is I want to go through the parallels of Daniel and Revelation. Now, I think maybe some of you might develop the attitude like I'm, I'm, I'm scratching, um, I'm reaching, that I'm, you know, that this is kind of, oh, that's, that's a little reaching, don't you think? But hopefully tonight I can show you that it's not reaching and that, you know, you can make your own conclusions, but you'll see exact parallels. And we have them all the way over and over and over again through all the way through Daniel. We studied Daniel chapter 9 uh, in Revelation on Sunday morning at the end of the message. You guys remember the, you know, it describes the Antichrist, the treaty, the seven years, all that prophecy that Daniel gave us that's going to be fulfilled in Revelation. I was talking to Lydia, and I was telling her, and I've never heard this, I never got this from a scholarship or book or something I read, but, and just kind of for fun, but you think about it, like, the Jews have the book of Revelation. Like, they have rejected the New Testament and rejected Jesus, but in, in kind of a capsule... In, in, in a smaller way, they have in their own writings our equivalent to Revelation in the book of Daniel. They have all the prophecies of, of the future that, that are covered in Revelation in, in one way or another, and obviously a lot missing, a lot of detail missing. Um, the, the promise of when Messiah would come in the book of Daniel, we'll get to chapter 9, and in that same prophecy it tells us exactly the day that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem triumphal on a, on a donkey. So... That brings us to chapter 3, and we covered chapter 3 last week up to verse 19. And I want to kind of go back over it a little bit. Let's cover 19 through um, 30, and then I want to go back over some of the Revelation stuff. But I, I do want to say this. So the first part of chapter 3 is, is this. Now, chapter 3 is 10 years removed from chapter 2. So this dream has been given. Daniel gives the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar, you owe Nebuchadnezzar. You are the head of gold. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, again, as you guys know, was a, was a god king. And they existed in, in, in history in some places and other places not. But, for example, in the Medo-Persian Empire, their, their king was not a god king because the Medo-Persian constitution superseded his spoken word. So once it went into, he could make a law, he could make decrees, he probably had the off with your head right, but... At the same time, once it was written into Medo-Persian law, king could not go back on it. It was more, it superseded the king at that point. Do you remember when they tricked him and, and they put Daniel in the lion's den and then he, he wanted to, to change the law because he liked Daniel and he knew it was a trick at that point and he couldn't because it had already been written into Medo-Persian law. So as the, as the kingdoms are successive, even in Rome, they, they went through their history right uh, um, between the Republic and a dictator, and, and they, they fought in the Senate over the years and had both. But even their dictator was never a god king, was never a Nebuchadnezzar-type king. So Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue in chapter 3, and he demands that, that we worship it as, as that people bow down when the instruments play and worship it. And so um, I saw this video. Let's see if we can get this video ready here, Brian. We'll play it in a minute. <coughs> I just thought this was fascinating. I don't want to really make a case out of this other than just you, you check it out. It's, it's interesting. It's definitely a, a sign of the times. And one of the things that I talk about in biblical prophecy is that, you know, people always want to 
um, keyhole a certain event in history. Um, prophecy and event, and um, sometimes you can do that, but most of the times what I say on those is that it's it's not actually like maybe the thing that we're going to point to chapter verse that this is this, but 100% of what it is is the Bible says you will not know the day or the hour, but of the times and the seasons you what? You will know, you shall know. So so in order for the the Lord to come back, you know, I look at it like a like a wheel with tons of spokes, and and when when every spoke is full, is fulfilled, the wheel is complete. Jesus is ready to turn. So each one of these things are another spoke in the wheel, you know. And if you look at that wheel again, um, people have lived through all of human history believing that they were living, and and, and the the. The, the detractors, the, the, the critics say that, oh, well, people have always believed that Jesus was coming back and you're no different. They believed that for hundreds and hundreds of years, which is absolutely true because God set it up so that Paul and Peter and the apostles would always believe that, that the, the rapture was or that the return of Jesus was imminent. But what's different is that when you look at the wheel of biblical prophecy, all the spikes are in place, all of the spokes are in place. And some of the things, the technologies that are happening, I think you know, without getting into it too much, there was a, a huge revival in about 1910 with the, with the one world government, the one world economy, um, is about when it, when it kind of fired back up. And it's been going on throughout all 1800s and 1700s, but with, with the different groups and the different um, Illuminatis and Bilderbergs and elite groups over the years, the, uh, what are the Jesuits and, and these orders over the years. But in 1910... The face that it has today really began um, with the with the World Banks and the, those things. So, hey, but so in chapter two, um, if you were here last week, if you weren't here last week, Nebuchadnezzar in chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar sets up a statue of all gold, and it's in defiance to what God's word said to him. God's word said, "You're the head of gold, and then the silver, and then the thing." And so, you know, he's having this moment of great pride, and in his pride, Nebuchadnezzar is going to fall and stumble because of his pride. And we're going to see chapter four where God's going to go get a hold of his heart. A lot of theologians will argue and believe that Nebuchadnezzar is, um, because he's such a type of Satan in some stories, and in other places he's acknowledging the God of heaven. And so some see after chapter 4 that, um, like Joe Foch is one of my favorite theologians. He's a Calvary guy, but he's one of my, one of my favorite theologians because he's just so well-versed in everything. And he doesn't say anything or teach anything that he hasn't done the research for himself. He didn't just hear it himself. Anyway, um, Joe says, and I, I'm kind of in this camp too, that he, he thinks he'll see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. We're, we're not the judge of salvation, that we don't know. Uh, the other one is, uh, in the Bible is, um, who was before David? Saul. Not Saul. Who was before David? Saul. Yeah, yeah, Saul. So where is Saul? Did Saul make it to heaven or did Saul not? We don't know. We're not the judge of salvation. Me, I think Saul went, went south and Nebi went north, but I could be wrong. I don't know. Maybe Saul will be in heaven. Um, both, but both in, in, the, in their own right are types of um, Satan in the picture, types of Antichrist. And so, uh, but Nebuchadnezzar has a humbling moment after he builds this statue. The statue was 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and of solid gold. And it was built in a place called um, the Plain of Dura, which they've recently, I think in the 80s, um, and again, the critics said, oh, the plain of Dura, there's nothing there. There's never been a civilization there. And in the 80s, archaeology has found ruins in the plains of Dura. And guess what they found? 
not, not, not gold, but what they found was a platform that um, would, have, would have been the platform that, this, that would have been necessary to fit this, this size of statue on. So they found the actual platform that the statue was on. I'm sure over the years the gold is gone and the rapers and the, the treasure hunters take the gold over the years. We talked about last week whether it was solid gold or inlaid with gold. I don't know. But, um, but anyways, you have this 90-foot statue. Let's just read it really quick, just for context for those that weren't here last week. Chapter 3, verse 1, then we'll show the video. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits, and he set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word and gathered together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judge, the magistrates, and all the officials of the providence gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship. And the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And so at that time, all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the symphony with all kinds of music, and the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which Nebuchadnezzar had set up. This is something I was just turned on to. Uh, You guys check this out. I think it's kind of trippy, but... I, I, to be honest, I didn't do a ton of research on the origin or even the... You, you guys remember when we did our last prophecy update, I showed you some stuff from the company or from the organization called the Great Reset. Okay, that, that is the new, new world order. We don't have a new world order today, that same organization. They're now called the Great Reset. And they're at the leading forefront of the one world government, one world economy, of the left kind of agenda of this new world order that's coming. But, but they, they have office buildings and they have people and websites and you can do all kinds of research into the Great Reset and nothing is hidden. It's all out in the, in, in the open. Uh, Klaus, remember his name? Klaus, not Schwab. Um, anyway, I'll think of it in a minute. But he, he's out there. He's the leader of the board and all these things. But this particular video, I, I can't say that about it. I don't know that this is a real organization. Anyways, I just want to preface that with I'm not totally positive, but at the very least, it's interesting. So let's check it out. If at first the idea is not absurd, then there's no hope for it. Albert Einstein. People of the world, welcome to the giant. The visitor attraction for the 21st century. The exhibition space featuring the giant experience. A glorious celebration of the great men and women of your country. Inventors, artists, scientists, celebrities and athletes. The viewing tower. See the city from the shoulders of a giant. The roof garden. New dimensions in retail, gastronomy, and special events for diversity of occasions. The world's tallest moving sculpture. Its head moves, 
Its arms move. It speaks and sings. A place to behold heroes and superheroes. A space to celebrate the great and the good. The game changers. The icons of your city and country. Every hour, the giant transforms into an extraordinary person. From sports, science, characters, your favorite heroes. And recites poetry and words of wisdom to the crowds below. A space to celebrate the great and the good. The great men and women who have made this world a better place to live in. A digital canvas for artistic creation. A creative canvas like no other. A digital art gallery in the sky that displays masterpieces from today and throughout the ages. The giant brings artists together from throughout the world. A beacon for brand celebration. A new eye-catching platform for businesses to reach customers in a novel and memorable way. A giant opportunity. A business model that delivers world-class experiences and world-class profits. An economic simulator that enhances tourism, job creation, footfall and commercial activity in the city. Join the giant's movement. The world's largest selfie. An homage to human potential. The world's most awe-inspiring selfie. Visitors are scanned and instantly become a giant. An experience to share and remember for a lifetime. There's nothing like it on the planet. Imagine you can be the giant. The giant transforms into a stage and a backdrop for festivals, concerts, performances and special events. Let the party begin! If I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. The Giant. Coming to 21 cities in 2021. Awaken the giant in you.
sound like Daniel chapter 3 or what? You know, my skepticism was, somebody sent that to me and I watched it and it was definitely interesting for, I was actually, I was reading, I was sitting at the kitchen table, I was reading Daniel chapter 3 and my phone lights up and, have you seen this? Check this out. And it's a, it's this video, someone texts me and, um, and I was like, well, the timing's great because I'm actually reading Daniel chapter 3, I'm serious, as the video came. But um, I, I thought part of the interesting thing was, you know, to me it spoke of a couple of things, but that. That the idea of what Nebuchadnezzar did is is not so far-fetched. And, and, and part of the thing is, and I think for you, I think for the audience I'm speaking to, you guys understand, but I think sometimes people, even maybe Christians, look at these stories in the Bible, a statue that's 90 feet tall, made of solid gold, and, you know, everybody has to bow down to it, and they think that they're, they're stories that God uses to, to teach a lesson or, or that he just puts in the Bible. But this is actual history, right? These events took place in human history. They're not just stories. Jonah was really in the belly of a whale. There really was an ark with eight people on it and a worldwide deluge. You know, this statue really existed in antiquities and in human history. So um, turn with me, if you will, to Revelation 13. Now, all through Daniel, um, we get these parallels to the book of Revelation. But um, one of the things is that statue of Nebuchadnezzar's was 60 cubits high, and six cubits wide, and then there was six instruments that were to be played um, at the worship of the statue. So you have in Daniel chapter 3 this 666. Now, if you read a, a King James version of the Bible and you count the instruments, it only counts to five. If you read the King James version, I don't know where the discrepancy is, but if you have an original King James and you read the number of instruments, it's six. I don't know if there's another six in there, or again, if I'm stretching and reaching, but you do have a 666 um, in Daniel. We know 60 cubits uh, tall, six wide, six instruments, um, these groups that were coming, and this um, music that would play, and that everybody would have to bow down to this statue. If they didn't bow down to this statue, what was Nebuchadnezzar going to do to them? He was going to kill them. He was going to throw them into a fire. Now, we have another story in Revelation that's very similar. In Revelation chapter 13, um, Look at verse 11, and it says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. And he, and he exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. So the Antichrist here is going to have a deadly wound, and it's going to be part of the deception that will take place in the tribulation. Now we are at the three-and-a-half-year mark of the, of the tribulation. God makes a distinction between the first three-and-a-half years and the second three-and-a-half years, calls the first three-and-a-half the tribulation, the second three-and-a-half the great tribulation, and this is the middle mark. And it even tells us in Daniel the days, part of the problem of some of the mid- and post-tribulation rapture theories are that Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. And especially if you're a post-tribber, you, you would know when the Antichrist goes into the rebuilt Jewish temple that it's going to be exactly to the day on a, on a, on a Jewish calendar, 360-day year, um, three and a half years until the Battle of Armageddon or until the, the return of Christ. So in that essence, you would know the day. You just have to count the days, and you would know the day it's given. So um, kind of part of the problem with some of the rapture theories that put the rapture in the middle 
or at the end of the tribulation, there are factors that you could figure out based on these days and these prophecies that tell you exactly what day, and that goes against what Jesus said. Another reason why you won't be here for any of this, you will go up in the rapture prior to the seven-year tribulation as the bride of Christ. And so the Antichrist is going to receive this wound. He's going to be healed. And in verse 13, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth inside of men. Now, we have a reference to fire, and I don't want to necessarily make a huge connection to that one in Daniel 3, but we have fire in both chapters. Um, And then it says, And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and live. So, um, you know, uh, John had never seen a M16 or an AR15 or, I mean, this says a sword. I, it could be a sword or it could be a modern weapon that John used the word sword to describe. But nonetheless, the Antichrist is going to have a mortal wound in his head. Maybe a, sh- maybe a sniper hits him and half of his head kind of blows in the sniper attack. It's seen on TV and JFK events. And, and then all of a sudden he's, He's, he's healed from it miraculously. He's calling fire down from heaven or down on the earth, I should say. Um, well, from heaven, it says. And then, and then after this event, um, he, he commands that a mystical image be erected. Now, what's it an image of? It doesn't really say. We know that it's an image of himself that he's going to erect. And Jesus talked about this in Daniel chapter 9. Do you remember what Jesus said about this in Daniel 9? He said, when you, when you see the abomination which makes desolation that Daniel the prophet spoke of, flee. And he's speaking to the Jews. Because the Jews will go into the tribulation. And, and he says, pray that your hour not be on the Sabbath and pray that you not be pregnant. And don't go back into your house and um, don't, come, don't go back up on the top. And all, all, all Jewish idioms, Jewish lifestyle type things because he's talking to Jews in that moment. And this is the point where the Jews will realize that they've been tricked that this is not their Messiah, that he's the Antichrist, and they'll flee probably to a place um, near Israel, in a place called Amman, Jordan, where the Lord will preserve them there. Um, and it says, He was granted power to, to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak, that his head will move and his hands will move. So somehow this this image will have life, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And so not necessarily that the image would cause, but that he would cause. Now, I I don't know, like I kind of thought about in this video that, um, you know, you, you kind of think of the mark of the beast being instituted in Jerusalem around the temple and, and could be true, but the reality is is that this is this is worldwide at this point, right? And so everybody in all around the world is gonna have to have an opportunity to receive the mark of the beast, to, to bow down, to worship. And so it would make more sense if yeah, there was a hub location because most of this is gonna take place in Israel and around the Temple Mount, but you know, what if you're in China or Afghanistan or other places and you know, geographically and you need to receive the mark of the beast, is everybody going to have to travel to Israel at that point to receive the mark of the beast and, and participate? Possibly. But I, I think more practically, if they built 21 of these um, 
giants in 21 cities around the world, all you would have to do is get to one of these giants or one of these locations in order to be able to receive the mark of the beast and participate in this. Um, but but just like, exactly like, right, do we have, are, are you guys okay yet with the idea that what is happening in, in Daniel chapter 3 is a foreshadowing at least for what we're seeing here in Revelation? Am I Am I grasping for straws? Am I reaching in that at least connection? Now, the 666, the um, the fire, you know, again, you guys can make your own conclusions on whether that's reaching or not. But without a shadow of a doubt, we have a, a story in Daniel. And again, Daniel being the revelation of the Old Testament that is exactly like the one that's going to take place in Revelation. Nebuchadnezzar sets up an image and you bow down and you worship it or you're killed. The Antichrist is going to set up an image and you bow down and worship it or you are you're killed. So how many of us as Christians need to be um, worried about accidentally taking the mark of the beast? Okay, we're past that, right? Is the jab the mark of the beast? That's our code word for the old uh, word I can't say on tape, I guess. The jab. Yeah, yeah, the V word. Um, is the V word the mark of the beast? No, are they going to control you with it? Possibly, who knows? I don't know. I don't know. Um, maybe it is, maybe it does have some kind of electronic uh, ability in it that they can tap into someday. But is it going to happen prior to the rapture? Let me ask you that. It's not. You know, I, I, I really preach really hard, you guys, that, that, and again, because the Bible says this, over and over again. It says when, it, when it's speaking of these events, it's, it's followed oftentimes by this, this qualifier. And Paul, says it, Paul says it multiple times. He says, comfort one another with these words. And so um, I, I, I heard of a, of, a, of a church that was preaching Revelation stuff, and he didn't believe in, I don't know if he was preterist or if he was future, but those are the two opposing views. The future view being that, you know, everything is just so far out in the future and the preterist view being that um, all the prophecies have been fulfilled like around A.D. 70 and 95, 80, 98 percent of them are, are, are already behind us and there's nothing future in prophecy. Um, but he was preaching this and, and, and he said, so you see, there's there's no rapture and there's there's no um, coming and and it's just more trouble. And, and you heard the whole audience, literally the whole church. Oh, like that. And one of the, when there was a Calvary guy that was there in the back and he was like, he didn't do it, but he's like, I so bad wanted to stand up and say, comfort one another with these words. Like the idea is that, that the Bible says that, 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 that we should be comforted by these words. You know, we've had folks come here before. We've had folks visiting when I've been doing prophecy updates or certain things and it freaked them out a little bit. Um, and I get it, you know, and I know that, that we, when we, if we have guests on a prophecy update, on, a, on a, something where we're talking and showing videos like this, and I think it was the one where I showed the um, Great Reset videos and those things, but I, I do think that I'm pretty careful to remind us that, um, that, that we have nothing to fear. You, you, you do have to fear if you're, not, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ and you're not ready for, his, his, for the rapture and for his imminent return. Then you've got another issue. But if you're ready, you will not be here as the bride for any of the ominous things. And, and, and if you have to go through the tribulation, I just don't know how that's comfort or any kind of wrath of God 
And the other, the other verse in Thessalonians that, that you have to wrap your mind around when you form your theological kind of position is that you're not appointed to wrath. And, 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 and you know, some people, now, now because we're not appointed to wrath, the, 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 the theories that put us into the tribulation as the bride of Christ or that we're going to go through part of it, they have to deal with that. You can't get around that. So they have come up with one of the more, and it's actually more viable, is, is, a, is a rapture theory that's called pre-wrath theory. But even the pre-wrath theory puts us so far into the tribulation that they've, they've already passed where the wrath of God starts. Because the very first event of the great tribulation now, the great tribulation, the seven years, is detailed in what chapters of Revelation? I've been teaching this. I want you guys to get it 6 through 19, right? 4 and 5. 4 is the rapture. 5 is the scene in heaven. 6 through 19, it details the seven years. You know what the beauty of that is? We, you know, I say that on, on Revelation, right, we, the book of Revelation is not hard to understand. But first of all, you're not going to be here from Revelation 6 through 19. And so when we're looking at things that are um, in... Um, that are hard to understand, first of all, we're just going to guess. And, and, and the cool thing is you don't have to exactly know what all the symbology and all the typology and all the pictures mean and get them right. It, it's not even that important. And you can still understand the book of Revelation because at least you have the framework that, that chapters 6 through 19, you're studying something that is going to take place during the Great Tribulation. And so, yeah, the woman who rides the beast, the you know, the different typologies that are used. We don't have to get all those right to understand the book of Revelation. We know that those are events of God's wrath. Now, Revelation 6 starts the Great Tribulation. The very first event of the Great Tribulation in chronological order, because it is laid out, um, besides two chapters in Revelation, laid out in chronological order, um, is, is, the, is the white horse, but more, more specifically or, or more broader, is the first event is the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Okay? And then by the end of chapter 6, the very last verse of chapter 6, it says in no uncertain terms, this is the wrath of God. And the other thing that I've told you guys a hundred times is Jesus said, if you desire to live godly, you will suffer tribulation. Now, because that word tribulation is the same word that's used to describe the, the, the seven-year tribulation period, some people want to say, see, Jesus said, that we're going into or we're going we're gonna to face tribulation. It's two completely different things, right? Tribulation that you and I face and wrath of God. The Bible says of the wrath of God that nothing in human history prior to that will rival it. I mean, the world went through a worldwide deluge. You think of the Holocaust. You think of the world wars. You think of, you know, the events of, of history, the, the early church. Rome killed millions and millions of Christians in the first 200 years of the church, filleted them and lit them on fire and put them in oil and, and, and put them in the gladiators and lion's dens. And, you know, none of that will all pale in comparison to what's going to come in the, in the wrath of God. And Christians have faced persecution through all of life. I told you a story last week about the, the story of Georgia, the country of Georgia, and the 100,000 martyrs on the bridge who gave their lives because they wouldn't renounce Christ when the Muslims overtook Georgia. And so how much persecution will you and I face? How much tribulation will we face before the rapture? That's a question I can't answer. And I want to be clear on that too, because if things start to get more difficult, 
you know, I don't want you to, oh, you said we're going up in the rapture. We're not going to see nothing hard. No, I didn't say that. What I said was you 100% will not face the wrath of God that starts in Revelation 6 with the four horsemen. The Bible is really clear in 1 Thessalonians that you will not know who the Antichrist is. Are we as Christians looking for the Antichrist? No, we're looking for Jesus Christ. Why? Because we can guess. You know, I think it's kind of fun sometimes maybe to try to guess, but I don't think we're ever going to get right because the Antichrist is going to be filled by Satan himself. Satan himself is going to enter this guy. And so right now we're looking for somebody who fits the mold. And I don't know why it's always every U.S. president. You realize every U.S. president since Ronald Reagan and before has been the Antichrist? I have... I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Somebody mentioned to me that Biden was possibly the Antichrist. I'm like, I'm like, I, last time I checked, the Antichrist could not put a sentence together and live in the basement. Pretty sure the Antichrist is pretty articulate and, and, and controls the whole world. Um, but he's a U.S. president, so he, 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 he gets thrown out there. But how ridiculous, you know. But again, you know, and again, when I was in Bible college and I was, we were studying eschatology and I had different Bible professors who, you know, would go through world political leaders and identify a few names. You know, the, the president of, of, of Turkey, Erdogan, super fascinating guy, super fascinating on so many levels. And, and he's that type that kind of fits it. But John tells us, right, um, in First John, he tells us that there are going to always be antichrist and types of antichrist throughout history that he says there's been and will be many antichrist antichrist types and and part of the reason for that is sometimes i get funny looks when i say this but 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 satan doesn't know when jesus is going to come back so he has to have antichrist ready i really believe he would have been amazingly happy to have Hitler be the Antichrist and was preparing Hitler to be the Antichrist. And maybe Mao Zedong and Stalin and, and um, who knows, all of these different people. But the other idea is too, just remember this. The Antichrist would fit some of these really powerful world leaders that have dominated and accomplished things. And that's kind of where our mind would go, that, that this is the person that would have the ability. Because the Antichrist is not going to be some, you know, devil with horns and a pitchfork and, eh, come follow me. You know, he's going to be a politician. He's going to have a bright smile and he's going to be articulate. He's going to be handsome and he's going to be well-versed. But he doesn't have to be those things prior to Satan himself entering him. Because once he's possessed by Satan himself, it's going to come with all kinds of the Bible says, even, even tells us what it is. All signs and lying wonders. And so the Antichrist could be anybody today. The Antichrist could be Pee Wee Herman. And all of a sudden he gets a, he gets a facelift when, when Satan enters him. But... Um, we, we don't, you know, we don't know. And we won't be here anyways. Thessalonians says that the church will be taken away before the Antichrist, that the spirit um, of God will be removed before the Antichrist is revealed. And not the Holy Spirit off of planet Earth. It's the church. It's the bride of Christ very clearly because the Antichrist is working all through, I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit is working all the way through the book of Revelation. You know, it used to say, oh, because it says the restrainer, the Antichrist will not be removed until will not be revealed until the restrainer is removed. Let me say, oh, well, the restrainer, the one that's holding back evil, that's the Holy Spirit. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit. 
But the, the inconsistency doctrinally is that the Holy Spirit is at work in the tribulation, so he can't be removed. So what, what then is removed? I strongly believe that it's you and I, right? It's, it's the homeschool moms that are the, the, the biggest threat to national security, according to the, you know, uh, you know the, the world. Is that Christian conservative homeschool moms are the number one threat to national security. Um, but but when, the, when the church is removed, the restraining power of the church working, the Holy Spirit working through the church. So let's look at the rest of this real quick. We're still in Revelation 13. Um, it says, verse 16, He causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is... 666. We see that there. Hey, turn back a page to Revelation 11. I'm going to get here in a minute in Daniel 3. But I want to highlight this really quick. 11.1. Oh, I'm sorry. Not 11.1. I'm looking for the 144,000. 7. Let's go 7. I'm sorry. Chapter 7. (coughs) Chapter 11 is the two witnesses. Chapter 7 is what I'm looking for. After these things, that, that's a Greek word that's um, in Revelation 4.1. It's metatauta. That's the word where we get our word caught up or, or raptus or rapture after these things. I saw, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, the sea, or any there. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice, and the four angels to whom he was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. So hold on, hold on. Before, before you, you, you bring these judgments, we first have to protect and seal the servant of God. Do you remember um, um, Adam and Eve had a son, Cain and Abel. Cain slew Abel. What, what did God do for Cain, or what did God do to Cain after he killed Abel? Put a mark on him. You guys remember he put a mark on him, and, and he did that so that people wouldn't exact revenge, and he, and he put a seal on him that actually protected him. Um, here he, he puts a seal on the, the Jews that go into the tribulation, because you don't go up in the rapture unless you're a part of the bride of Christ, unless you're a part of the church. But Romans 11 is pretty clear that in that day, the Bible says, you know, a verse that I, I, to this day, I struggle with. I actually had a woman ask me about it on the way out on Sunday. Um, And I told her, I don't know. I said, I I just, I'd like to take it just at face value. But it says, all of Israel shall be saved. Well, what does that mean? Because the hard part is, it can't contradict other scripture. And the Bible's pretty clear that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. So then in Romans 11, when it says all of Israel shall be saved, does that mean that they're going to be saved differently and supernaturally, but are they going to be saved apart from faith in Jesus? Well, I don't think so. But here we have, I think in this day, God is going to do something where all of Israel will be saved. And once the bride happens and once the tribulation happens, we have this first mark where God is going to put a supernatural mark on 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. Males, it tells us they're virgins, they're males, they're, um, they're going to be preaching the everlasting gospel. And so it says, until 
saying, Do not harm the earth until we put the seal. We have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, and all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Okay? So, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they represent Israel, who goes into the seven-year tribulation period. And, and just like Israel was, was sealed or is going to be sealed in, in Revelation, and so as, as all this crazy stuff is unfolding and all these people are dying, there's, there's, there's this group of 144,000 and of Israel that God is going to supernaturally preserve and protect. We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who go into the fire, and Jesus goes into the fire with them, and what does he do? He supernaturally protects them. Okay? But let me ask you this in, in Daniel chapter 3. Now back to Daniel chapter 3 and we'll wrap up. Where, where is Daniel in chapter 3? It's not mentioned. Where, where was the last time we've seen Daniel? Let me ask you that. Last time we've seen Daniel was in chapter 2 and something was happening to him. Verse 48 of chapter 2. So he was being promoted, or maybe another way of saying that was he was being raised up into a different position. Last time we see Daniel. Not mentioned in chapter 3. You think that's because Daniel bowed down with everybody else? Well, we know that's not in his character because by the time we get to... um, Daniel in the lion's den, he's told he can't pray to any other god and they have to throw him in the lion's den because he continues to pray. So we know that Daniel, we know Daniel's character. Daniel didn't bow down. There's no way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but Daniel is um, strangely missing through chapter 3. He's a picture of the church, a picture of the bride. It fits consistently with the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The last time you see Daniel, he's being raised up, he's being promoted. He's not here in chapter 3 when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who represent the nation of Israel, who will go into the great tribulation, go into the fire. Jesus is in the fire with them. I threw three in the fire. Did I not see four? And the fourth is like the Son of God. And and Daniel is missing. You have um, the flood of Noah and Noah and his eight sons that represent Israel. They're not kept from the flood. They're they're gone into the flood. And and what? As as the the Jews in, in um, chapter 7 of Revelation, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as Daniel, when he does go into the lion den, they are protected, Noah and his eight sons, through the flood. And you say, well, where, where then is the, is the church in this picture, right, if it's consistent? Well, there's a guy that's contemporary with Noah, who the Bible says he walked with God and he was not because God took him. So you have Enoch in the same in the same his time of history, right before the flood. Enoch goes to heaven, and and he's raptured, so to speak. He's, he represents the bride, and then and then Israel goes through the flood. We have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They go into the fire. Daniel is missing. So you have consistently all the way through the Bible this picture that that's consistent with the pre-tribulation rapture. One of the reasons why I you know, I tell people that the pre-tribulation rapture um, is the only one that's consistent Genesis to Revelation. Those are two of the reasons. There's others. There's other examples. But that's two of the main reasons. 
is that it's the only one that's consistent in all of the typology and all of the pictures that you see all the way through. When you see them go into the fire, you also see um, somebody who's kept from the fire at the same time supernaturally. The bride of Christ goes up and they're not account, not appointed to wrath. And, um, the, and, and Israel goes into the fire. Israel is preserved. Is, is Israel in the tribulation period? Is that, is that controversy or is that pretty clear? Can you guys read English? Are they there in chapter 7 being sealed? 12 from each of the 12,000 tribes? So they're there. Okay. Do you know in Revelation chapter 6 to 19, do you know what's not mentioned one time? The bride of Christ or the church? Not mentioned one time. And so we have them, them missing. Now, all right. Daniel, nine, Daniel 3. Um, I, made, I made a little mark in my Bible. I think I covered some of 19 through 25, but I made a little mark after verse 18. That's where we stop. So in verse 18, it says, But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. So again, your homework for that verse was Romans chapter 4. I'll even shorten it for you guys. No, actually, I'll just read it because I said I would before we started. I said I would before we started, so let's just do it real quick. Romans 4, verse 13, it says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So this, this, this whole section here, basically, in, in a nutshell, is going to use Abraham both as a testimony of faith, as the father of faith, and really, um, Romans is, is, is doctrinal all the way through. Romans teaches theology. We get 90% of our biblical theology in the book of Romans. So part of the theology that we, we get through this section and through Romans is how were, um, how, how were people saved from Genesis to Revelation? It's always the same. So we don't ever want to draw a line at, at, the, at the new dispensation after Christ died on the cross, because the old dispensation is the law, the new dispensation is grace. When Jesus died on the cross, there was a group of people, and a lot of the Bible deals with this, and it gets confusing to us, but it was talking to people in the day who went through something that you and I will never go through, were born, maybe they were, say they were 40 years old when Jesus died on a cross, they grew up a good Jew, they followed the law of Moses, this was the will of God for their lives, it was exactly the way that God wanted them to live and to be raised up. Jesus dies on the cross. The veil of the temple is rent from top to bottom. And now from years 40 to years 80 of your life, you, you, you no longer have to follow the law of God. And this is still the will of God. You no longer have to follow the law of God or the law of Moses. And so there was a group of people in human history that lived through the change of dispensations from law to grace. And, and so, so much of the New Testament is, is, is encouraging and dealing and telling these people this for us today, too, because we have a tendency to want to return to the law. But, but, but again, we're, we're not, but so, so, but with that, whether you lived in the dispensation of the law or whether you lived in the dispensation of grace, what I'm telling you today is that you got, you get saved the same way. God has only saved people one way throughout all of human history. And that's by what? By faith. By his grace through your faith. Abraham was saved by, by faith. Now, Abraham is a classic example because Abraham lived 400 years before the law of Moses was given. But Moses, who wrote the law and gave the law, who was given the law in Sinai, he was also saved by faith. The, only, the, the difference was that even if you lived in the dispensation of law, you looked forward 
to a Messiah. And you put your faith in what was coming when, when, when Messiah would come. Now, we put our faith back in a Messiah that came and died and rose again. But, but it's, it's one way that God saves people, and it's by faith. And we'll see that pretty clearly here. Verse 14 says, For if those who are of the law are heirs of faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. And that's another part of biblical prophecy. God who, who calls those things that do not exist as though they did. In the interpretation of Daniel's, these things did not exist. Daniel called them as though they did. That's what biblical prophecy does. That's what separates the word of God. That's what gives us foundations. 26 years, 2,600 years old of God's word being true and always being true in every antiquities and archaeology and it always proves the Bible accurate in every way. And so that these are not stories. These are real events. And now in verse 18, so now we have like four steps or, or, or ways that, that Abraham um, faith was played out in real life. That was practically lived out. And so what did he do? Abraham was given a promise. You know, I don't know. Maybe you guys know, but I don't know exactly when in Abraham's life he was given the promise, but he was told he was going to have a son. And God fulfilled the promise when Abraham was what? He was 100 years old. And his wife was 90 years old. The Bible even says, because you would think, okay, those, they lived a lot longer in those days. So a 90-year-old woman could still have a baby, and that was normal in those days. No, it says she had passed the point of childbearing. Can you imagine coming to Abraham when he's 99 years old? And according to this verse, it's a year yet till this prophecy is fulfilled. Again, I don't know. Do you know, Lydia, was there a time given when, when he was given the promise, how long he waited? Does it say? Does the Bible say? 25 years. Okay. So at 75, he was given the promise. At 100, it was fulfilled. So he, he's there at 99 years old. And all this time, you, you know that his faith wavered a little bit, right? Because our father of faith, the area of his life that he struggled in was faith. He, that's where he had his biggest um, letdowns was in faith. But he's 99 years old, and it says here he's singing worship songs, and he's speaking things as if they were. And you're like, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm, I'm Abraham. Oh, hi, Abraham. Nice to meet you. What are you singing about? Oh, God's going God's gonna to do something cool for me. You know, I'm just singing, praising the Lord for my son. Oh, you have a son. No, I don't have a son yet, but he's going to give me one. Aren't you a little old to have a son? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a little old to have a son, but God, God's going to give me a son. Well, do you have a wife? Yeah, I have a wife. She's 90 years old, and she's already been through the change of life and went through menopause, and she doesn't even have the physical parts anymore to have a baby, but God's going to give me a baby through her. You know, and, 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 and he's singing God's praises, and he, and he, and he doesn't allow the, the human... Um, difficulties to, to, to waver his faith, that it's already physically impossible at this point, the Bible says, and that Abraham yet believes. And so it says here, look, look at these things. It says, and who contrary to hope, in hope, believed. That's such a good Bible verse, you guys. Who contrary to hope, in hope, believed. When the world says, when your situation says, there's no hope. And, and you say, but I'm going to have hope anyways. Contrary to hope, in hope, he did what? He believed. He believed. 
So the first thing he did was he didn't let his circumstance, he didn't let the, the fact that it was, there, there should not have been any hope in what, he's, in what he had done. After 25 years of this promise, and he's 100 years old and his wife's 90, and God says, not only am I going to give you a son, but you're going to become the father of many nations. Your, your, your descendants are going to number as the sand is by the seashore and the stars of the sky. And then it says, what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And, and now, being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. Number two, he didn't consider his human weakness. Already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, she was 90 years old, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. How many of us waver at the promises of God because of our unbelief? You know, and again, this, this, this in context, I didn't quite get there, but catch up from last week, we're talking about the, the faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to stand in front of Nebuchadnezzar and say, our God will deliver us. But if not, we still are not going to serve your gods. And then the next one is um, giving glory to God. That's the worship and the thanksgiving. He was thanking the Lord and being fully convinced that he, that what God promised, he also was able to perform. And he was delivered up, verse 25, our offense, and was raised because of our justification. And so Abraham, verse 22, it was accounted to him for, that means salvation, okay? So Abraham was saved by faith in Jesus. Daniel chapter 3, now we got to go. Give me three minutes, but let's, let's just look at the end of it. It's, it. I kind of covered it already, guys, but... Um, and then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. The tribulation period lasts how long? Seven years. And the, um, verse 20 says, And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were with his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And therefore, because the king commandment was urgent, and the furnace was exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these soldiers, these mighty men, who were holding on to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and approaching the, the, the edge of the fire and throwing them in, the fire was so hot it consumed them and killed them. You know, some people say that the, the, the nation of Israel, oh, they didn't cross through the Red Sea. They crossed through the Sea of Reeds. And the Sea of Reeds was a section where it was like six inches tall or the water was six inches deep. And, and when a certain wind blows, it'll push the water back. And that's where the children of Israel crossed. Well, that's nice. But yeah, then the, there's a bigger miracle in the whole thing that they got to recognize because God drowned the entire Egyptian army in six inches of water. And, and, and the same people here will say of, 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 of this, oh, it was a little tiny fire and, you know, whatever, and Shadrach and Meshach and Ago were able to get around, you know, whatever. They, they try to dis- discount the actual miracle. But we have this testimony that, that, that the mighty men were burned with fire. And, and again, it's another picture that the, that the mighty men of the earth, they're going to go into the tribulation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Israel are going to go into it. They're going to be preserved. Daniel is not there. The church is going to be missing. And these men, these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men, men bound into the midst of the fire? And they, and they answered and said, King, true, O king. 
Look, he answered. This is so good, man. Verse 25. I, I see four loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So Jesus is literally in the fire with them, and Nebuchadnezzar now for the second time in his life experiences Jesus firsthand. He sees, this time he sees Jesus with his own eyes. He's like the Son of God. And and so this is um, what we typically call a Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Christ. It's Christ who appears upon the pages of the Old Testament. We know that Jesus was born in a manger to Mary as a baby, but that was his incarnation. And we know that he's, he's preeminent. Jesus existed long before the baby in the manger, right? And we see Jesus here in this moment appearing and preserving the, the nation of Israel through. Who's going to preserve the nation of Israel through the tribulation period? Jesus will. And then it says um, that Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and he spoke and he said, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, O servants of the Most High God, would you please, pretty please, would you mind coming out here? And would you come here? Like this change in this king. Like do do you see like in uh, verse 19 it says he was full of fury. I mean, you guys ever seen anybody full of fury? I, I don't. I don't think I get that way. Maybe, maybe every once in a while in my life, I guess it could have happened. My wife's looking at me like I don't know, but I, I don't see that I have that personality. I, I don't. I really don't. Like I, I can even get angry and not not act a certain way. But you know, like those guys that in their neck, the veins are bulging and spits coming out of everywhere, and they're just their ears are literally getting red. And you know, Nebuchadnezzar is in that that moment, and he's angry, and he's Spitting nails, and one time Gerald said to me, "I'm Lydia's dad, my pastor." He said to me, "I'm so mad, I'm spitting nails." I was like, <laughs> I was like, "Well, you must be pretty mad, spitting nails." I don't know, never spit nails before, but okay, you might want to, <laughs> I don't know, brush your teeth or something. I don't know. I'm gonna use some mouthwash. No, I'm kidding. Uh, But yeah, he was pretty bad. I deserved it. Um, And then Nebuchadnezzar changes down here, and he's like, oh, boys, would you please, would you mind coming out? So they come out, or they, where are we at? Uh, 27, and the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the kings, the counselors gathered together, and they saw these men whose bodies the fire had no power, and the hair of their head was not singed, nor was was their garments affected, And the smell of fire was not on them. And Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And there we have the the testimony of their faith, that they trusted in him by faith. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nations, language, which speak against Anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. Their houses shall be made as ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Again, it's the second time that Nebuchadnezzar has an experience 
with Jesus, with Jehovah, with, with Yahweh God, and, and makes a decree like this. Now, what's here is not really kind of statements of salvation where he's ready then also to serve this God. He says, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You ever have a friend who knew you before Christ and after Christ and said, well, it's good for you, man. I'm glad you got saved. But no, Jesus is for everybody. And, but he doesn't really make these confessions. Chapter 4, God's going to get a hold of his heart and he's going to turn in pride because now he knows intellectually, he knows God. He knows the God of heaven. He knows what the God of heaven is capable for. But he's yet unwilling to humble himself. And God is going to humble him in chapter 4. And I believe that he's going to have a real experience with God and by the end of his life, that he is going to be humbled and saved. Um, we're done, but um, as we're done, I'm going, to, I'm going to read. You can close your Bibles if you want. Um, I want to read one scripture for you guys. It's in John chapter 14, and it's not verses 1 through 6 that I always read and share, because I go there a lot. But in verse 25... It says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Verse 27 says, peace I leave with you. Jesus is leaving them. This is his last message. He's 24 hours um, from dying on the cross or less. And he's giving him his his final um, message. And he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let it, let it not be afraid. What does 14.1 say? Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. What does 14.27 say? Let not your hearts be troubled, nor let it be afraid. So what he says here is he says, peace I give to you. But the, the, the real key here is he says, not as the world gives do I give to you. So my peace, Jesus says, I give to you. And I think the lesson is, is kind of twofold. Right, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Lot, lots in there, right? It's two weeks to kind of cover those chapters, and we bounced around a lot. But two main things. You're, you're, you're promised a little bit of tribulation in this life, right? Okay, with that, your, your challenge in life as a Christ follower is to, is to keep your joy. Because God wants you to keep joy through, through, through your walk with Christ. No matter what you're going through, find a joy. That's what changes people's lives. People look at you, they see you go through something hard with grace and with a smile on your face or at least with, with the ability to, to go through it. But you will go through things. Now, nowhere does the Bible promise to keep you from the fire. Okay, That's not Bible. That's not good theology. It just hurts people when they go through hard things in life. That God wants you to always be happy, healthy, wealthy. You should always be able to find joy. That's Bible. But the other part of the lesson is that God goes into the fire with you. Because who was in the fire? I threw three in the fire and I saw four. And the fourth was like the Son of Man. And then the second part of that is just that what I just read in John is that I really believe that with the joy in life that, that you can find joy in the midst of the fire. That, that you can find joy in the midst of the fire because the joy that God gives you is not the same joy the world gives you. The peace I give to you, you can find peace in the midst of the fire. And Jesus promises that, amen? Let's stand. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we give you glory and honor. And Lord, we thank you that these stories are so powerful, Lord, and there's just so much more to be said and gone through in this, Lord. And I thank you, God, that the way you've, you've um, orchestrated for us to go through Daniel and Revelation at the same time, and I'm learning so much, Lord, between the parallels, and uh, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen.